Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Okay, let's breathe out all the anxieties, all the modes, and all the hats we wear. Let's lay it at the feet of Jesus. And let's breathe in the presence of God, the love of God, and the grace of God, and the mercies of God today. Reading from October 1st, Jesus Calling, the voice of God. Worship me only, I am King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Dwelling in unapproachable light, I am taking care of you. I am not only committed to caring for you, but I am also absolutely capable of doing so. Rest in me, my weary one, for this is a form of worship. My children dry themselves like racehorses. They whip themselves into action, ignoring how exhausted they are. They forget that I am sovereign and that my ways are higher than theirs. Underneath their driven service, they may secretly resent me as a harsh taskmaster. Their worship of me is lukewarm because I am no longer their first love. My invitation never changes. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Worship me by resting peacefully in my presence. Amen. You can all be seated. Welcome everyone joining us online and in person. In the fourth grade, my parents received a letter. I immigrated to the United States in 1987, so I was about seven years old. I learned the language uh, for three years. I couldn't really, I was in ESL, I think, for two. Uh, and my parents received a letter, but I had to read it to them because they couldn't read English. And what the letter, it was certified mail, um, said that my fourth grade teacher had a pickle with me personally. I, I don't know why. I, I, I do confess <laughs> I was pretty hyperactive and probably a little bit, you know, disruptive. I guess. Uh, I was trying to ease my situation into this country and try to integrate, but you know, it was difficult to cope with two different worlds, one from Seoul and one in Manhattan. um, The letter said, we strongly advise that you take your son to see a psychiatrist. Put the picture up here. For we think and the teacher, fourth grade teacher said, um, we're not sure of this, but definitely he has some type of psychological disorder. My mom, I translated, I, I think I still spoke Korean well enough to do this. 
And then my mom and my dad said, you're not crazy. She's crazy. You don't need no psychiatrist or psychologist. Because if we took you to one, we would just confirm what we already know. You know what she said? That you're a genius. I said, I know, right? She's crazy. And Karina said, be just, uh, you know? And uh, what a lot of people, what my parents probably didn't know is in developmental psychology, fourth grade, age nine and 10, it's the most important developmental stage for personal identity. It develops an emotional ecology. Tell someone next to you, emotional ecology. There are systems and habits of how you see who you are. If you deliberate or destroy a fourth grader's confluent, uh, confidence in fourth grade, a lot of times mentally, a mindset would be, I can't. There is something inherently wrong with me. My parents told me you should go check because we suspect there is something wrong with you. And not to, you know, as a disclaimer, there, there could be, okay? I'm not saying that uh, this is always the case. But a lot of people have asked me throughout my life, where did your confidence come from? It came from fourth grade. I knew in this turbulent moment living in, in Manhattan in the 80s, late 80s, that no matter what would come my way, no matter what people would say about me, my parents always had my back. Always. Last week, we talked about, conversely, not spiritual confidence, but we talked about spiritual poverty. We talked about the spirit of poverty stems from what? A poor vision of God the Father. Then conversely, if you want to measure spiritual flourishing, you want to measure Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessings known in the heavenly realms imputed to us in our relationship with Christ, you could measure it. Tell someone next to you, you can measure it. You know how you measure it? There's only one word, confidence. You measure your spiritual wealth, health, spiritual flourishing by the degree of confidence you have in the promises of God and the presence of God. Because let me tell you right now, there is no way you have no swag. Tell someone, swag. That's where my swag comes from, my parents. And growing up in the 80s and 90s with gangster violence, too, that helps. I'm saying, I'm just letting you know where I come from. <laughs> kidding. I'm so kidding. But, but confidence is imputed. Competence is learned, but confidence is given to you by relationship. That's why psychotherapy exists. That's why counselors even have a job. Your confidence was were either destroyed, muted, questioned, or strengthened by a paternal figure. 
This is why someone like Stephen Curry has, put the picture up there, has I can do all things on his shoe. Based on Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. What? Who gives me strength. I can. He pounds his chest every time he hits a shot from half court and, and points up. Because he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. There's only one difference between Steph Curry and every other shooter and every other NBA player in NBA history. I mean, there's no difference in shooting the ball. That's the game of basketball. You shoot it. People, including his coach, Steve Kerr, the best three-point shooter by percentage in NBA history, first started coaching Steph, and he thought Steph was crazy. Because the truth is, for those basketball fans in here, Steph Curry takes bad shots. Some of you here takes terrible shots. Some players in our church shouldn't take any shots. Not to destroy your confidence. <laughs> You're like three feet from the basket. Pass it, bro. Please, pass it. You're 90% chance you're missing. Steph Curry pulls up from half court. And Steve Kerr didn't understand. He's a 42% shooter, history line, for over 14 years from the three. Has the highest percentage from half court. Or longer than 28 feet or whatever. Why? Because it's not his competence. His confidence comes from above. I can do all things through Christ. He gives me strength. One of the things I've learned in my time working with elite leaders in the Ivy Tower, teaching students in the university, is that confidence is everything. Confidence is everything. Competence, many of you in this room, that's why you're in New York, you're very competent. You're so competent, you're in like the one to two percentile con like competence. You're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> you really are. The, the universities and occupations you have, if you stacked it and how much money you made, you quantified all that, you'd be in the one or two percentile. And you're like, well, I feel pretty good. But you still lack confidence. Competence is something you can work toward. That's what you call a growing mindset. But let me tell you, I've seen in students, in the way they present, when they get up in front of an audience, they're competent, but they mumble their words, and they forget what they're about to say, and they can't remember this part where they're, they're supposed to be the most powerful part of the speech because they lack confidence. A student, a paper that's A versus B, do you know the difference, and you quantify this, and for those of you in school, the only difference between an A paper and a B paper is 15 minutes of confidence. You're like, wow, why? 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 You got to be able to coherently and articulate what you really want to say. A lot of people, when they write papers, oh, no, no, I don't want to say that. Delete. They're not confident. The confidence makes all the difference for a professional athlete who is a superstar versus a role player. They basically can do the same things. Any scrub in the NBA could scrub all of us in three seconds. Dunk on that shoot. They don't miss. Even Shaq 
hits 100% of his free throws during practice. But confidence separates everyone. Today, if you really want to know what spiritual flourishing looks like, the inverse of spiritual poverty and the spirit of poverty, I want to show you what it feels like and what it looks like to have spiritual confidence in the promises of God and the presence of God. Because if we really saw our God the Father's heart for us and the fact that he's in the arena, not in the office, but in the arena, in the stands, cheering and rooting for us, present with us, and there's nothing we cannot accomplish. Amen? And then there's nothing we can't conquer. If God is for us, who can be against us? And who cares if anyone is against us? So let's look at this text. Remember Luke 11 and the rhythm of the passage. Remember in the original letter of Luke, there, there are no verses. We created this later to kind of help down, break the ideas down in modernism. But in a Jewish kosher culture, the theme of this paragraph or chapter is one idea. And remember the very beginning of this exercise about who God the Father is and his heart for us was all about answering a question the disciples had. The disciples came to Jesus one day and says, teach us how to pray. And for us, when we hear teach us how to pray, that's an action, that's a request, that's a spiritual habit that we understand. But what they're really asking was, how do we approach God, Jesus? How do you approach God with such confidence? Teach us that. And this is Jesus' answer through story about how we approach God. In verse 5, in one segment of the story, Jesus said, Still take me seriously. Okay, I know I drank drank from the truck. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. You better have food if I'm visiting your house. All right, guys, come on. (laughs) I need some food. I suppose one insider answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Well, in in Palestinian homes, remember that uh, Jesus is talking to an audience that had one room. So if you were to get up at midnight and kids are sleeping, what would happen? All the kids would wake up again, and the hell of putting them back to sleep would have to repeat. And it doesn't matter who your neighbor is or who your friend is. You're not doing that if you don't have to. And so... And then Jesus says, at verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, meaning it's not hospitality per se, or because he likes you, or because he wants to, 
Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Here, Jesus is using an hyperbole to teach us a lesson about how to approach God, who is our Father. In Aramaic, Abba is not uh, equivalent to the word in English, Daddy. In Aramaic, Abba means you can get close enough to your Father to smell His body odor, B-O. They're close enough, like affectionate, intimate. But because in the Middle East, the Father was a wise and a, you know, powerful figure in your life. It's the confluence of both. And Jesus is saying is that when you have spiritual confidence, you have a shameless audacity. Jesus is comparing a friend getting up because of someone's shamelessness. Jesus says, when you come to the Father, come with some gall. Come with some cojones. Have some guts. This is your father. I've learned this in my own life with my own parents. At 21, I crashed a beautiful Altima, gold Altima. Let's put this picture up there. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months into having this brand new car in the New Jersey Turnpike. But it wasn't my fault. This is what I told my parents every time I told them a car. I only towed up a car once. My wife towed up a car the second time. So it wasn't my fault. But in the turnpike, six months, you know, it's totaled. And my, my dad's like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm okay. And he was like, well, that's the most important thing. But then I said, Dad, I think I'm going to need a new car. <laughs> you know, most kids... At 21, you're in college, you know. And I, you know, I made my own money and stuff too, but I said, Dad, how about we upgrade the next car so it could be safer? You know, my dad looked at me with those eyes. I said, how about, how about an Infiniti i30, you know? It's a, it's a much better car than the Altima. And I had the audacity to ask for a luxury car after I totaled the new car after six months. You know why? Because I was spoiled. <laughs> you know why? Because my, I was so confident in my relationship with my father that all I know is that I wasn't going to be disciplined or he wasn't going to hate me. He was just going to say, no, why not ask? Why not upgrade the car? And it was a very important car because this is why my wife fell in love with me at, in the first place. My wife has, you think I'm the vain one. A lot of people in this church think I'm the vain one. My wife is the one that likes nice cars, not me. And she saw my car, she's like, oh, he has a nice car. That's what got her interest, amongst other things. But this is not, I didn't stop at, at, at 21 asking just for another luxury car after six months crash. I was looking for rental properties where I was ministering in Staten Island, and I saw houses for sale. And then I saw a projection that Staten Island prices would skyrocket in the next 10 years. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I know you're going to buy me a house when I get married, but how about we buy a house now? 
Now my dad was shaking his head, and he was laughing. He wasn't angry. He wasn't laughing. And I, I gave him the presentation. I said, Dad, if we buy it now, we'll save about 200000 My dad looked at me and said, no. You can't have an Infinity i30 and a house at 21. It would ruin you. It would destroy you. I said, no, it wouldn't. It would be wise. And you know what? I was right. If we bought the house in 2001 instead of 2005, we would have saved $250,000. Isn't that smart? But this is my point. What does spiritual confidence look like? First lesson. It's what? Tell the person next to you. It's what? Shameless audacity. It's like, no, you shouldn't ask that. You shouldn't ask. You shouldn't ask anyone for a luxury car after a car crash and a house at the same year. That's just stupid. But if you knew that you were loved and you were cared for, you would have that kind of confidence. You would have a shameless audacity. And I see this lacking in today's church. This shameless audacity. Because we have what? We don't have that kind of confidence in God's promises or who he is. And that's why part of spiritual poverty still follows our lives and fills in those areas. Today, my question for us is, do you really see God's heart for you and who he is? Because let me just tell you, your spiritual inheritance and your spiritual blessing and the plans God has for you and how much you accomplish and receive from the Father will be directly proportional to your confidence in Him, in His promises, and His presence. So measure the confidence, and then you'll see the cracks in your spirituality. You'll see the areas in our spirituality that needs to be formed by the Spirit. So if, if you were to measure your spiritual confidence today from 1 to 10, what, where would it be? I pray the Spirit of God, as a child of God and the people of God, would correct our vision of God the Father, and we would develop a shameless audacity as we approach God. Jesus says, how should you pray? Approach God. Approach Abba with a shameless audacity. That's the first thing. That's what spiritual confidence looks like. Second thing, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught us. Right? And this is the rhythm of the passage we said, how should we approach God? First thing we said was, 
if he's your Abba, and he really is your father, then you would have a shameless audacity. But when you read this whole passage, it doesn't end with presents or gifts, treats or gifts. We're talking about materialistic things. It ends with something different than that. And it almost doesn't fit the rhythm of the text well because it's not supposed to. It's supposed to kind of throw you off. So watch what he says, right? He says, he said to them, right, when you pray, say, Father, Abba, that word. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then in the end, he drives this point. Which of you fathers, if, you, if your sons ask for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. In the beginning of 11, it starts with gifts, but the conclusion in verse 13 ends with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is what? God pours his love for us through the Holy Spirit. Here, Jesus is talking about relationship. He's talking about intimacy. He's talking about not presence in terms of material things. He's talking about actual presence. He's talking about actually proximity. Tell someone next to you, proximity. How do you approach God the Father? And, and you know, kids are going to ask for things as you grow up. Right? My kids ask for things. All, they ask for too many things. They have too much confidence. Dial it down, bro, please. But a lot of times as we grow up, one of the things that gets severed with our relationship with our parents is an intimacy. Because once kids become autonomous, they stop wanting to hang out with you. It hurts your feelings. I know. I'm very hurt these days. So much. I mean, like, like my older son, he doesn't even want to go to Asia for a month. He goes, he, what? A lot of people came to him and said, he doesn't want to go to Japan? No. He doesn't want to go to Cheji with you? No. He doesn't want to go to London or Paris? No. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Why? I don't know. He likes his friends better. You see, the father could want proximity. The parents could want proximity and say, hey, let's go. You want to go watch a movie? Uh, uh, let me get back to you on that. Hey, you want to go? Come on, let's, let's go to, you know, Bali. Let's go on vacation. You know, we'll pay for everything. No, thanks. It's almost creepy when parents want to be close to their kids. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the, the father comes and mom comes. Come on, let's, let's go on a trip. Let's go on a road trip. No. <laughs> Here Jesus says, it gives revelation about proximity to God, our Father. How close can I be to God? How close I want to be. If my son's going to go vacation with me, he's going to have to come and say, let's go on vacation. He's going to have to want to. 
he has to approach me with that proximity and tenderness. Because I'm all for it. So the dominant figure, the powerful figure, the, the resourceful figure could want intimacy. But if you look at the you know, parable, the prodigal son, the father doesn't go after his, the prodigal. He gives him what he wants. He waits. He waits for him to come back. Put the picture up. You, the kids, I mean, think about if I, hey, hey, hey Josh, hey, Nathan, and I came to their bedroom, the teenager would be like, and jumped on them. Right? Imagine that picture. My son would be like, get off me, Dad. What are you doing? Right? Like, that's so weird. But if I was in bed, they could come and jump on me and be like, okay, you know, cool. Why? Because I, I want intimacy, but I can't demand it. That proximity is not something I control. Love, I can't control. That degree, that spectrum of how intimacy is built is up to the child. How close can you be to God the Father? It's up to you. You can be close as you want to be. One of the things, even I got, after I got married, 24, 25, even before I was a father, one of the things I loved doing is visiting my parents. My dad would be watching TV on, in his bed, the, you know, the next Korean drama, and I would jump on him. <laughs> and you know, he would say things like, this is gross, get off me. But then he would put his legs and wrap me around my waist because he was saying, I understand your gesture. You want to be close to me. I want to be close to you too. Honestly, that's what I miss the most about my parents being gone, like my dad being gone, is the gestures of intimacy. Jesus here says, you need your father. You need to hear something. You need to, you want your father there, you're going through something, you want his presence, ask for it. Because that's what, so what is spiritual? Second thing spiritual confidence looks like. Read it with me, what is it? It's shameless intimacy. Shameless intimacy only exists when we know we won't be rejected. When we're confident in our relationship. We're so confident, we're willing to be shameless. The only person I know besides my wife today, not even my kids, that I could be shameless, intimate, was my parents. I can do anything, be crazy even, right? Used in the beginning. And they'd be like, you're not crazy, be crazy. So confident in love that I could truly be myself. Jesus says to his disciples, that's how you should approach the Father. Jump on God's bed. Body slam him. And he'll body slam you too. Directly proportional. Because the truth is, folks, based on the prodigal son in this passage, our, the degree of our intimacy will be determined 
of how we approach the Father. And spiritual poverty is part of this. Self-reliance keeps us away from that tenderness, that shameless intimacy that we can have with God the Father in our lives. Not just shameless audacity, not just with things. But we're talking about God's presence because your Father can provide and never be there. And you'll respect Him. And you'll even trust Him to a degree. But you'll never be close if His presence is not there with you in your life. I don't know what kind of fathers many of you had in your life or no longer have like me. But if you had a good father like I did, this text says the Heavenly Father is so much more and so willing to be in relationship with us. For those of us who had distant fathers or terrible fathers, you have the perfect father in the gospel. And that's why it's good news. The gospel is good news not because we get things, but because God gives us himself. And that's what Jesus says. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Pour his love to us for those who ask him. Amen? I love this quote from Henry Nouwen in The Return of the Prodigal Son. And we're going to close as we read this today. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home and must look for and why to find one. Home is the center of my being, where I can hear the voice that says, you are my beloved. On you my favor rests. That same voice that gave life to the first Adam and spoke to Jesus, the second Adam, the same voice that speaks to all the children of God and sets them free to live in the midst of a dark world while remaining in the light. I have heard that voice. It has spoken to me in the past and continues to speak to me now. It is the never interrupted voice of love speaking from eternity, giving life and love wherever it is heard. When I hear that voice, I know that I am home with God and have nothing to fear as the beloved of my heavenly Father. I can walk in the valley of darkness, no evil would I fear. As the beloved, I can cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the devils. Having received without charge, I can give without charge. As the beloved, I can confront and console and admonish and encourage without fear of rejection or need for affirmation. As the beloved, I can suffer persecution without desire for revenge and receive praise without using it as a proof of my goodness. As the beloved, I can be tortured and killed without ever having to doubt that that love is given to me is stronger than death. As the beloved, I am free to live and give life, free also to die while giving life. And this is the powerful part, one of the most powerful things ever said or ever written. Jesus has made it clear to me that that same voice that he heard in the river of Jordan, in the mountain of Tabor, can also be heard. Everybody say it with me. Again, by me. 
Will you stand? That same voice Jesus heard in the beginning of his ministry by the Jordan River. You are my beloved, for I am well pleased. God the Father is still saying this to his children, all of his children, to you. The main difference in the spiritual life for people who accomplish their assignment and their destiny and things they couldn't even have imagined or hoped or dared dreamed are people that don't have confidence in their ability, but confidence in God is. And the promises and His presence would be with us in the arena. Oh, folks, today, if you need to hear any voice, you need to hear the voice of the Father calling you the beloved of God. Henry Nouwen said that the greatest enemy of the spiritual life is any voice that contradicts the voice that says we're the beloved. Will you receive the love of the Father today, I want to pray for a special revelation of this love. Will you lift your hands with me today and receive this love? The love that would give you ultimate confidence in the difference between the I can mentality versus I can't mentality, the poor mindset versus the confident mindset. Let's make this our prayer. Explain this kind of love, this kind of grace. I know I still break your heart, and yet you run to welcome me. This is my song of praise to you for who you are and all that you do. From the moment my life began, you have been faithful.
pray that the Holy Spirit would pour the love of Abba in a way that would define your life. I want to tell you again, many of you in this room, the problem is not your competence. You have too much competence. Today the Father says, I want to give you a confidence that will shape a destiny, that can shape nations, that can shape industries. If you want to step into things unimaginable, things you couldn't even conceive, and you go, well, I don't want to do that. Well, that's exactly why you need to. You're a reluctant leader. You go, but I'm good. God's calling you into more. If you receive the confidence of God's promises and God's presence, you will become the light of this world and your destiny will change history. You'll become leaders of leaders, disruptors. And the only thing holding us back from this creation and vision of destiny that God and the assignments God has for us, from taking us from glory to glory, is simply a lack of confidence because of our incorrect vision and poor lens of who God is. Today I rebuke that in Jesus' name in your life. And I pray that you would hear that voice that spoke to Jesus, the same voice that caused you the beloved. And you'll begin to say as you do self-talk, I can do all things. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.
afternoon and happy Sunday, everybody. For those of you guys who don't know me, my name is Stu Still. I'm a member here at 180 Church. We are a community joining God to restore the beauty in all things, and we're so glad to have you guys here for our Sunday service today. Before we get started, we have some community news for everyone. We're going to start off with tithes and offering. And just as a reminder to everybody that is a member here at 180 Church, we encourage you and remind you to continue to keep God at the center of everything, including your finances. You can make your offering through any of the electronic means up above. And if you're a guest here today, you are our guest. There is no financial obligation to be here. But if you do feel led to make an offering, you're more than welcome to do so. Our next announcement is about some of the different ways that we can connect. We have our Bible reading group at 180BRG on Instagram, where you can come and just get a little bit of God's word throughout your day. And we also have a number of other social media uh, outlets. We have our Facebook. We have Dr. Sammy's Twitter. We have our 180 YouTube uh, page at 180 Church NYC. And we have a number of Instagram pages at 180 Church, 180 BRG, and 180 Fellowship. They're all great resources where you can come and check us out through the week. And, of course, on our YouTube page, you can always find our Sunday services where we are streaming them live. So if we ever have a flood like we kind of did on Friday, you can uh, still check us out on Sunday there. Um, but again, it's at uh, 180 Church NYC, and our live stream goes live every Sunday at 10 after 12. Our next announcement is about our small groups, where we come together in the middle of the week to just go deeper into the Word, to see where God is speaking to us, and where with our small group we can just do life together through the hills and the valleys with one another. Uh, no matter where you are in what stage of life you're in, we have a small group that would fit for you. Some of them meet in person, some of them meet online. And if you're interested in joining one, whether you're beginning your journey of faith or you've been on the journey for a while, it's a great place to grow in your faith. Just speak with me or any of the greeters in the 180 shirts, and we'll get you plugged in. Next, we have a number of different resources, which you can find out at the 180 Cafe. We have a number of different devotionals that you can check out. Many of us have been reading them, and they're a great way to just center ourselves in God at the beginning of the day. We also have Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, available out there. And right now, we have two other books because of our series that have been going on. We have Victory Over the Darkness by Neil Anderson, and we have Spiritual Direction by Henry Nowen. You can check these out at the uh, cafe. It's on an honor system, and you can just pay whenever and pick the book up today. And speaking of picking up books, you can also find Dr. Sammy's book, A Holy Haunting, locally at McNally Jackson in Brooklyn and at The Strand in Manhattan. So these are other places where you can pick up the book if you're looking for it. Speaking of the cafe, that's where you can pick up some 180 merch, including hoodies and sweaters and long sleeve shirts. And now that we're in fall and it's nice fall weather out there, a hoodie is a perfect thing for this kind of weather. So you can pick that up again at the cafe. And again, pick it up today, pay at your leisure. It's all on the honor system. Our next announcement is about our prayer text uh, hotline. Uh, or prayer email where we can pause and pray together. Uh, if you have something going on in your life where you need a little bit of prayer, where you really don't feel comfortable going through it on your own because we're not meant to do life alone, we're meant to do life in community, this is a great resource where you can text, uh, you can send an email to our prayer team. They will keep you in prayer. It's kept in confidence, but I can really attest just from my own personal experience that this really does work to have people praying for you in community when you're going through the difficulty of life. So I really encourage you, if you're going through those valleys right now, send out an email, prayer at 180church.tv. It really does help a lot. And encourage you guys, when God moves in your life through these prayers, send a praise request as well, so that way we can all celebrate what God is doing in your life. We also have on Sundays our house of prayer, which starts at about 1145, where we just 
let's quiet ourselves before God to see what he's saying to us. We can prepare for the Sunday sermon, just kind of decompress from everything in the week. So we invite you guys to come and pray with us then as well. Our next announcement is about A Glimpse, which is an instrumental album that Pastor Lydia created. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and uh, YouTube as well. And it's a great little instrumental album to just, you know, while you're journaling, while you're reading, it's a great thing to help you relax. Okay, so next, we have a number of different events that are coming up uh, over the course of this month and next month. Our next Day in the Sun is going to be October 22nd. It's going to be at noon in Central Park at the Great Hill. This is going to be our season finale of uh, Days in the Sun. And um, we've had pretty good luck with Days in the Sun this year, aside from one, but hey, God still worked in it. So uh, we invite you guys to invite your friends, invite your family, come out and join us for our last day in the sun. Again, it's October 22nd. The RSVPs should be going out within a week or so. Just remember to RSVP, check your email for that. Next, we have our annual 180 Care Package event, and that's going to be on November 7th uh, at NYU. And Fellowship is going to be holding this, and this year they're emphasizing the importance of the uh, AAPI mental health and history movement. And they're going to have two prominent speakers for this. We're going to have Chris Kwok, who is a Christian lawyer, educator, and activist, who helped develop the AAPI curriculum for New York City uh, Department of Education for kindergarten through 12th grade. And we're also going to have Vivian Louie, who uh, teaches at Harvard and is the director of the Asian American Studies at Hunter, Univer uh, Hunter College. And she helped spearhead the AAPI curriculum for the uh, New York City Department of Education. We are looking to raise money for this event. Uh, so if you're interested in helping out, if you're interested in donating, just speak to me or you can make a offering or a donation through the electronic means I mentioned earlier. And our next announcement is about, speaking of November, we are going to be helping out with a coat drive for the asylum and refugees in New York City. Uh, as winter is approaching, we're asking people if you have an extra coat, if you have one that you're not using anymore and you'd like to donate it, this would be a perfect opportunity for it. You can bring them to church on Sundays from now until the third week of November. We just ask that you label the gender and age on the coat so that it's easier to distribute. And again, we're going to be doing this through the third week of November. And our last announcement is about all the different ways that you can serve, whether you would like to help out with the 180 Cafe, whether you'd like to help out with our children's ministry, whether you're a techie that's great at web interfaces and things like that, or if you're just a friendly face that wants to make people feel welcome when they come in here. We're looking for volunteers of all types to help us out. And so many of the volunteers here have made life so much easier for uh, many of the people here. I'm sure the parents appreciate everybody that is involved with the children's ministry. I know I appreciate everybody that helps out with the cafe because I need my coffee on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I know that there are so many people who are here because someone greeted them and made them feel welcome and made them know that they are welcome here. So we're encouraging everyone. If you have a heart to serve, there are so many different ways that you can serve. Those are all of our announcements today. Uh, if I missed anything, you could always check us out at our website at 180church.tv.